Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you're here, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> How you doing, guys? Back with uh, another podcast. We're on the road here up in, up in uh, Buffalo, New York, for a little bit of festival talk uh, with a bunch of guys uh, at, the, at the festival uh, via the Shelton Brothers. And uh, we got a whole roundtable of gentlemen. I'll let them introduce myself, so we'll go right to left here. I'm Joel Shelton of Shelton Brothers. Dan Shelton of Shelton Brothers. Jamie Cruikshank of Napa Beer. Ron Extract of Garden Path Fermentation. Miguel Rivas, the beer trekker. Sebastian Sauer from Freigas Beer Culture, Germany. Okay. And of all you guys, now Keith's not on here. He doesn't talk. That's what he does. He just stares at everybody very menacingly, keep everybody in line, make sure everybody curses a lot and stuff like that. So... Um, first things first, what, um, what brought all of you guys together in this festival? I mean, let's start with the bomb. How did that happen? Dan, how did this happen that we end up in Buffalo? We have a different city every year, and uh, I think the guys up in the office decide on someplace no one can expect, and we end up in Buffalo this year. Well, first off, Joel, I'd say the question that was asked is a little bit larger than that, which is like, how did we all end up here? Meaning, how these people, and it was not explained actually yet where these people are from. Um, Napa Beer is in uh, this near... Barcelona. Pamplona. Oh, it's not right. What am I saying near Barcelona? Yeah, it's in Pamplona. I've even been there. I don't know why. I'm, uh, <laughs> but um, of course I've been there. But uh, uh, yeah, so we've got some, someone from Spain. We've got, uh, well, maybe not really from Spain, but we're representing a Spanish brewery. Exactly. We've got um, Ron Extract, who's uh, in uh, uh, Washington now with his new brewery, but he used to work for us. We've got some Germans. We've got people from all over the place. Um, <laughs> and how they all end up here, it sort of goes back to the beginning of Shelton Brothers, which is that you know, we were by accident starting to sell Cantillon, which is now pretty famous, but back in 1996 was not famous and hard to sell. And uh, it became so desperate that, um, you know, I was at that point working by myself in the thing because no one else thought we could afford to support anybody else. And uh, realized I was going to have business if I didn't go find some more, you know, beer to sell beside Cantillon and uh, started just traveling around looking for looking for breweries looking for beer and it, it it's been 23 years of that if you do the math and uh, it's just all these people have come together for various reasons uh, and the festival is all about that uh, it's people from now from this year for the first time I think it's people from Panama for God's sakes Correcto. All, all kinds of crazy things and uh, so we're all here because of that sort of camaraderie that's developed over all these years. But uh, beyond that, uh, why are we in Buffalo? <laughs> well, I mean, um, you're, you're, t- you're talking about, um, you know, the Shelton Brothers uh, coming into existence, what did you say, around 93? Um, 96. 96. Um, but the festival started, what, eight years ago? Is this the seventh or eighth? This is our eighth one. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it naturally makes sense for you guys to throw a festival. What was the impetus for the actual beginning of the festival? And then what brought you here to Buffalo along that way? You know, I'm going to say, uh, since Ron is here especially, I think Ron, who worked for us, well, not quite from the beginning, but was 
the only person who would work for us uh, when it became me and then my brother Will um, working for close to nothing. In fact, I, I definitely was working for nothing. <laughs> Had another job, unfortunately. But Ron came on at that same early stage and was willing to work for very little money. Or if I was willing, but he, he was somehow tricked into doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, so Ron... I think might have been the first one to have the idea of doing a festival. He might claim that even if I didn't give him credit for it, so I'll just let him do that. But um, I think maybe it was my idea, but we certainly a, close to being a mutual idea, but we had it a long time ago and just couldn't pull it off. And then by 2012, when we did the first one, we had enough you know, leisure time, or I wouldn't call it leisure time, but we had we thought enough time and maybe enough money and all that and enough people to finally do it. And it was a shoestring operation in the first one. And it's become just every time you do it, it gets easier and easier, obviously. And um, as far as uh, I'm still going to keep trying to answer this question of why Buffalo is what Joel wanted to talk about. And uh, the first point of there, obviously, is that we do move it around every year, which I feel is that reflects kind of what the idea is in the first place which is first that we want it to be interesting for our people coming from abroad especially but also just for people in the u.s as well people want to get around and see different things and no one wants to just come back to yeah. where our first one was in, in uh, 2012 which was worcester, worcester worcester massachusetts and so we try to keep it interesting kept moving around and um, there are reasons why buffalo ended up being the, the place this year which we can get into if you want to talk about it but um I mean, the building itself is amazing. I think it's like one of that's, the that's greatest one of the main reasons, yeah. play, uh, venues I've ever seen, not just a beer festival, but any festival. In. Uh, like, was that always kind of, you knew that existed, or was, when you were searching for places, you found that, and it was like, okay, we have to do it here? Well, that's the thing. At this point, I no, nobody knew it existed. We, we got these, nobody at Shelton Brothers. Yeah. Uh, least of all me, I have to say. But uh, it was these guys... I'll give them a little plug, I guess. They're called Rhizome, and they, they do beer festivals. Mm -hmm. uh, and we looked up at them because they saw what we were doing and thought it looked really promising. I don't know why they thought that or what they mean, but um, <laughs> they started helping us out and um, have been really helping us out. They seem very dedicated and uh, do a lot of the work to get it going. And they are always on the lookout, I think, for sites to do things like this. And we never heard of it. Even the one my brother, Will, used to live here, um, this place is a strange, incredible venue that's uh, clearly haunted, and uh, it's a former train station that, uh, well, the history of it's crazy. I don't want to get into that, too. It's really interesting, but the, uh, uh, the films have been made there, as far as I know, and it's, it's just a... I mean, Buffalo itself, uh, with the connection to Tesla and then him bringing kind of energy, the actual large city, uh, the amount of energy you need to power these kind of things... Buffalo had that quick boom in the early, was it early 1900s, to the point where like it, has it hasn't a, been nearly as good since then. Uh, yeah, it's kind of gone downhill. But the, from the architecture and all that stuff, it's it's a very beautiful city. Most people don't view it that way, but um, that building's fantastic. Well, we were talking about it yesterday, my wife and I, and um, she's from Germany, so she has a certain view of things. And but we both sort of found ourselves wondering why is it that all this these buildings are here and then you you go outside of that and you see clearly a lot of empty space a lot of it looks like poverty you know kind mm -hmm. of very close to the center of the city along with those buildings and and it seems like it, it must be 
I mean, it's reviving for sure. And certainly, as a lot of places are, it's reviving culturally, and and uh, that is starting to bring, I think, economically more. Money, and, but yeah, no, I mean, like anything you can bring to a city like this, and just to kind of help people, you know what I mean? Like look at the city in a positive light. But what you, yeah, but what you think about is how did this happen historically, and it, you know, this was a Great Lakes City when commerce was really happening yeah. on the Great Lakes way back at that turn of the century. So like between the 18th, sorry, 1800s and 1900s, right? And I don't know how far into the 1900s, but then it was just, uh, that obviously died. And then where does everybody go at that point, you know? And how do you revive a city? How do you, and it's a really interesting story. And it's, I've been in a lot of places. Well, let's actually uh, kind of talk about the festival itself and the whole kind of core and soul of the festival in that, like, you know, there's a lot of different kind of festivals out there. There's, you know, the Pretzel Necklace Festival. There's, you know, the local... Do you want to explain know, that for people who may not... Or maybe uh, you've you, talked about you before. Can, you, can, you can handle that one if you I want. I think I've talked to too much already for the whole <laughs> show, so I'm going to let someone else talk about Pretzel Necklaces. Uh, I mean, it's really... There's just a festival's... As far as I view, is just people try to pack in as much alcohol as humanly possible. You know, well, I heard there's another festival going on somewhere else in the country this weekend. And yeah, that, you know, a little one out, out west, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some other brewers mentioned something about it. And, yeah. I'm yeah. going to say I don't even know what he's talking about, <laughs> But anyway, uh, but you have that festival. Nowadays, you have a lot of festivals kind of popping up that are very hyper, like um, focused on specific styles, whether it be hazy IPA or farmhouse ale or stouts. Um, and then you have your kind of festival where it's really just you're, you make good beer, showcase your beer. Sure. Like you can go in here and find a new school hazy from a very hyped new school brewery, or you can find a beautifully yeah, well done. Yeah, I hope we don't have any of those. Do we? I don't know. I hate those hazy IPAs, but <laughs> you do. whatever. There, there are definitely some. Yeah. All right. Well, but, it's but it's also got, got under the wire well, there. But there's also some people like that, and there's nothing wrong with it. They like that. It's just also bringing together brewers who are passionate about what they do, and it shows in their beer. Um, most of the brewers that you have at your festival are on your. Um, roster as far as breweries that you help distribute but there's some that aren't like how do you go about picking those breweries like obviously you want people that you guys distribute to be on there like we have you know Napar beer we have you know Frygeist we have all these breweries that are with you guys but how do you go around picking the other ones out well just like their beers as simple as that they actually at this point people are coming to us I have to say okay and we still have to tell a lot of people no nah, it's not really what we want to do uh you know, you're, you're not quite in the program with us at this point, but uh, it's all part of a of a general vision of what beer is supposed to be like, and it, it you know it spreads far and wide. It's different everywhere theoretically, uh, and uh, a lot of these people from other countries and you know, within the United States, they they, they kind of know each other, and if, if we have any anything to say for ourselves about how this happened it's because it's that we have been kind of a connection between lots of people who sort of think the same way about what beer should be like and uh, you know who are making the best beers and all that kind of thing and uh, uh, yeah there's a lot of people here who are collaborating with each other between the US and other countries and between the other countries you know themselves and uh, foreign countries and, and it's uh, it's just part of a whole social network as much as anything else. Okay. Well, let's talk about that with you guys attending the festival here. How did you end up, um, how do you approach a festival like this? Do you do a lot of festivals? Is that something that you typically 
kind of do as, as breweries as a whole? You can start anywhere um, and, and speak to that. And how does it differ from here to other festivals, even outside of the United States? Um, yeah, we do lots of festivals. I mean, I'm regularly traveling both nationally and internationally as well. Um, and you definitely get, there's definitely different festival styles. I mean, in Spain itself, you get some that are more bohemian, could I say. It's a little bit more rural, out in the sticks, based around a sort of country house and, um, how could I say it, very sort of like laid back to sort of more formal festivals where you're in a, a, a booth and maybe not even there yourself representing the brand. You're asked to go along to the festival, but you actually have, you never pour your own beer, which I always found a bit more like a, a, a trade show or a, a sort of a, a tourism fair or something when I've been to these sort of like more formal um, festivals. And then this one, this is my first time uh, uh, at the Shelton Festival. And it's nice to see a very wide range of things, which I think is what you were saying mm -hmm. before. Which and reflects the world of beer, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. That's, that's what we want here. And, and, and showcasing, giving people like us from Spain the opportunity to actually come out here and try and give ourselves a little bit of a name and show the fact that, that you know there's good beer in Spain, which isn't necessarily... Uh, uh, a known country for its beer, maybe more its wine, but there's damn good beer in Spain, and this <laughs> kind of thing is a, a great opportunity for. By the way, your Spanish accent's throwing me off. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm what, sorry. Yeah. What, what, part of, what part of Spain are you from? Is that? <laughs> that, that would be the southeast Cockney side of uh, Spain. <laughs> right. but, but there's a festival in in the UK. I'm just going to take a flyer and say that's where I bet you're from. Um, there's a a festival in Manchester every year. Uh, yeah, the, the Indie, Indie Man. Man. Yeah. yeah, that's going on at the moment, yeah. That's that's another sort of a kindred festival with us, I feel like. It, it takes place in this old Victorian bath. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, we're talking about this place here in Buffalo, which for me is actually, like you said, I think the most spectacular building I think I've ever been to for a festival. Mm -hmm. But then in the Victoria Baths in, in Manchester, um, it's also this sort of like multi level old Roman baths and it's, it's pretty impressive as well. There's no water left in it, which is too bad because I love baths myself, but <laughs> but the uh, there, there are brewers all sort of into these swimming pools and things that are fortunately no longer full of water, as I say, and uh, you go to different rooms where different things would have happened in the old days with baths and stuff, and uh, that sounds kind of yeah, let's not go there. It's a little, yeah, bit, uh, there. It's a little kinky, there. little kinky. <laughs> no, but uh, and it is kind of, I, I suppose. Um, well, they've tried to get the Roman theme along. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, feed me grapes whilst whilst I serve. When in beer. Rome, when in Rome. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's it's also uh, they've started to do more international breweries coming into that, and and it's all small. It's selected, and that's the key thing about the Shelton Brothers Festival, and and about Shelton Brothers, and, and about. The way you have to be, in my opinion, in the beer business now, unless you're selling, you know, Budweiser or something, you've got to be selective. There's just too much out there. And what we think we're doing is helping to select, uh, you know, good things and to try to tell people that this isn't working for us, but we're still going to keep trying forever, uh, trying to get people to, to think about what good beer is and why, why we think that what we do is, good, you know, what we sell is good beers and to, to try to make it available to people as much as possible, you know, and, and uh, have people learn about beer and uh, all these people here are, are very knowledgeable about beer and they, they they share a kind of vision about beer that has character and is not just you know kind of ticking the boxes as they say you know and 
Yeah, I mean, and, and speaking about beer with character and with Ron at a Garden Path, for you, how do you, how does that how do festivals how do you work festivals in your schedule with with the beers the kind of beers that you do uh, the beers ready when it's ready it's the more it's more of an open fermentation kind of wild mixed culture is that a little bit different than what you you know a typical brewer who uses kind of more controlled method definitely i mean every, every batch that we do is going to be completely unique we use 100 percent native yeast and we use all local ingredients in what we do so it's it's definitely kind of a different production style um coming to events like this is really it's important for us because we can feel a little bit disconnected where we are uh washington there are a lot of breweries in washington state i think over 500 now but um there are a lot of breweries that are doing kind of similar things big focus on ipas big focus on just certain styles and what we're doing is really quite a bit outside of that and coming here to be able to find a sense of community that's harder for us to find uh, at home is is really important, and for that reason, we actually brought most of our team, most of our production team, out for this to give them the opportunity to meet other people who are doing things that are similar to what we're doing, to be able to find new inspiration. Um, so we we've, we've been doing quite a lot of festivals over the last year and a half. It's also a lot of people don't know who we are um, or know us from things that we've done before. My partner and I were previously with another brewery that's. Um, Fairly well known, and that's um, put. Uh, it's I'm going to interrupt to say what that brewery is. If, if, uh, if nobody knows, uh, it sounds like Ron wants to be modest or something. Uh, Jester King, yes. which is pretty well yes. respected around the yes. country, and they're really good friends of ours, starting with Ron, but uh, going beyond that at this point. We yeah. love those people. So, yeah, so we, uh, my partner Amber and I, um, left Jester King to start Garden Path Fermentation, and I think because of past association there and also I'd say because of my past association with, with Shelton Brothers a lot of people know us personally but don't know Garden Path yet and it's gotten us invitations to events where people are inviting us just based on our prior personal connections and based on what we've done before but now we need to go and, and show who and what Garden Path is all about and um, kind of establish our reputation for what we're doing now. So it's really important that we then accept these invitations strategically and go and present what we're all about. And speak to the, your um, your opening a Garden Path out in Washington. I didn't even know there was that many breweries in Washington, to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, you're saying most people There, there don't... are 8,000 breweries now in the U.S., so if you do the math, geez, yeah. you can just imagine yeah. how... Yeah, jeez. But, um, you know, most people, like you said, don't really think of farm brewery when it comes to Washington. You're trying to change change people's minds out there and how they think. What made you go to Washington? Was there roots there, or is it just a no? A we we had no connections. We really just wanted to do something where we could, where it could be a hyper local project, where we could source everything from immediately around us, everything that we needed, and where we could work with minimal temperature control. And what we love about Skagit Valley, where we are, is just everything grows there. It's an incredibly fertile area where grow grains, hops grow naturally. There's not a lot of commercial hop growing now. There used to be before Prohibition, um, but we have friends who actually started a hop farm the same week that we started the brewery. Oh, really? Which is, is pretty awesome. And we buy all their hops now. It's not enough for all of our production. We have to go a little bit outside the valley to, uh, to Yakima and Willamette uh, to get the remainder of our hops. But our hope is that within a few years, we'll be able to get all our hops within the valley as well. But all of our grain, comes from the valley. Um, there's, we work exclusively with a maltster that's just half a mile down the road from us, uh, Skagit Valley Malting, which is oh, doing great. some awesome things. They actually started because they discovered there was a lot of 
really unique and interesting heritage grain being grown in the valley uh, as rotational crops that were, if they were used at all, they were just used as animal feed, but in a lot of cases they were just left on the fields and felt like this was a real wasted opportunity to add value for these farmers that were already growing these grains and um, learned about malting, brought in a former NASA engineer who designed new malting machines for them um, to really do things in a way that was totally different from how they had conventionally been done uh, and produced some really, really unique malts. So that was a lot of what brought us specifically to Skagit Valley. But Washington as a whole, we wanted to be someplace where we did have the local resources, where we had that climate with cool summers and mild winters and um, also friendly beer laws for, for what we wanted to do. And there, the um, for those who don't know, alcohol laws are very much based uh, in the individual states in the U.S. and they differ um, quite a lot from state to state. I so live in New Jersey. It's one of the worst. There's a lot to navigate there. And we moved from Texas, which um, recently made some changes that will take effect in a couple of years. But prior to that, it was really um, had very restrictive laws and we wanted to be someplace that would actually support the type of business we wanted to create. But then we also had a theory that going to a place with cool summers, we would be able to do native yeast fermentation that was focused on Saccharomyces, that we could make beer and wine and mead. And we, we are both a brewery and a winery and meadery, cidery. We make all these things using just things that grow around us, but we felt like doing it in a place with really cool summers we would be able to focus on native Saccharomyces and make beer that was still soft, that wasn't aggressively sour, that wasn't um, really overtly barnyardy, that picked up some of that character with age and had some under the surface even when young, but that, um, that wasn't as kind of aggressively tart or aggressively sour, aggressively um, Brett dominant, Brettanomyces dominant as you would find using this kind of process elsewhere. Um, but because we are so focused on subtlety, on nuance in what we do and trying to make things, we're, honestly, we're, we're making beers that are not meant to be consumed two ounces at a time. We're me- making beer and, and mead and, and other things that are intended to kind of unfold on your palate as you drink a glass or multiple glasses and going to festivals where we're pouring two ounce samples in a lot of ways that doesn't really bode all that well for us because I don't think people are going to fully appreciate what we do in small samples and in deciding what to bring to this festival our motivation was less about what we thought would be crowd pleasers in broad sense but more what we thought would um what what we were most proud of really and what we thought that some of our fellow brewers and some other beer people who really were going beyond just ticking the boxes what they would hopefully appreciate and want to drink more of yeah i I just want to interrupt once again, uh, and only quickly, I hope, because uh, I especially want to hear from Sebastian and yeah, rip, we'll... rip into him um, <laughs> from behind. Uh, but uh, so you know, Ron is, is saying just it really it gets into something I was I wanted to say, and it, it goes along with what I've already said. Uh, we are really into, of course, the, the local stuff. What we've done is we bring local things from various places around the world to other places. Yeah. It's a little bit weird sort of contradiction, but um, what, I think that um, American brewers have not understood this so much until they had this exposure to really good craft brewers around the world, which has only happened recently, really. Um, we always had good 
beers mm-hmm. coming from England and Germany and you know traditional beer places. But there's all kinds of stuff going on now. With especially when Ron mentioned using local yeasts, uh, Americans have, have tended to just use the most clean and uninteresting yeast. And so, like when Americans discovered saison uh, beer, for example, which happened because of people I would say people like us who were bringing in saisons from uh, from uh, Belgium or wherever, and that it's a key thing to not to not be stuck using like something from white labs or whatever. I'm not picking on white labs by any means, but uh, you know to have a the saison number whatever mm-hmm. yeast yeah. that they use. You want to have like something that has character, and this character thing is is really key to what the festival is all about. And we we think that our brewers are all trying to achieve some kind of character in their beers, meaning something that's distinctive in some way that isn't just like oh. When we say ticking the boxes, what Ron and I are both talking about, I think, is is you know, people who just say, "Oh, I'm going to make a you know a saison or whatever kind of beer you can name it, yeah. and it's going to taste like this more or less." You know, it's like the Cicerone kind of way, yeah. which, I, which I don't agree with at all. Just like, oh, it's supposed to taste like this, so just go for that. You know, so uh, I and, and I also I think that when Ron talks about uh, essentially wanting people to drink a lot. Uh, I was going to say about, about, about the pretzel, the pretzel uh, necklace thing. You know, I'm that's okay with pretzel right, necklaces. I mean, if the convenient way to have your food around your neck while you're drinking a lot, that's good because you want to have a little bit of eating going on. Yeah, but why isn't there other like things on necklaces, like hot dogs or like you know ice cream on necklaces? I mean, it's a great delivery system. For you know, food. I tried the ice cream necklaces, but there's certain practical problems that I hadn't thought of in advance. Yeah, that it just didn't work. Um, but we can get into that later. But but the whole point is. Uh, I have said this for a million years, and I think it's finally happening. Uh, God, I hope it's happening. Uh, most of our favorite brewers, probably all of our favorite brewers, do at least one type of lower alcohol beer, something in the three to four, yeah. up to like 4.2, 4.5 maybe range. And that is beer to me. That's what beer is supposed to be like. I mean, not that all the other beers aren't great. I mean, we've sold a lot of high alcohol beers, but and I like them all, but I don't drink them that much. And if you, um, what you want... You want to look about. You want to think about flavor. You want to think about, you know, that's what beer is all about in the end: is flavor and refreshment. Actually, so for refreshment and flavor. Now you want to be able to have that flavor pouring over your tongue for as much as you possibly, for as long as you possibly can, all day. I mean, that's a session beer sort of concept. And everybody here, I'm sure, is is doing things like that. And uh, there are, you know, brewers' favorite beers are like that: four percent, maybe. You know, usually four point two. Yeah, that's like yeah. kind of the limit. <laughs> that's, and that's what we brought for our full festival beer was our, uh, a dry hop table beer, 4.1%, a little horse around. And that was, we brought that because just thinking about what are we most proud of having made, that's that's kind of our brewer's beer. We make that because it's what we really like to drink. You talked to, I wrote it. Like as well. Yeah. We bought yeah. our 4.3% <laughs> pills. Yeah, and, and that was our biggest keg that we bought because it's also what we want to drink. And, and, that's, and that typically seems to be the case more t- often than not. The, the festival will be there are, are for the attendees, but there's a lot of like brewer interaction and want to share beers like that. Um, Sebastian, what did you guys bring from Frygeist? Like, what uh, what was what were the beers that you wanted people to try? Um, we started um, three years ago to brew a lot of. I um, started our cool chip project. Um, which means in the particular case that um, we had an old cool ship from 1933. Like, um, oh, really? That would like 90 hectoliter copper cool ship, which is like probably about 75 barrel um, size. So that's like a massive piece of copper, pretty much. 
and uh, that was just like always used for the uh, original purpose of really cooling down the word. And um, so in this uh, case, in this case, we uh, would pretty much do that. Uh, and just like it was like standing outside of the brewery where I brew uh, the beer, and um, um, and then was like pretty much outside and just like covered with a lot of. Uh, broken pallets and a lot of stuff and so on and uh, so it took a few years for me to actually like make the combine uh, make the um, friendship with them and uh, bring passion into that place for like special type of beers uh, so that we could actually set it up in a separate building and just pretty much um, show our uh, local style in this kind of uh, way you know so we had pretty much obviously Belgium is very close to us mm -hmm. and that's where like uh, the whole lambic subject is uh, very uh, strong and from there, it's also the influence of uh, Bel Belgian style of beers in the US. So a lot of people setting up cool ships and a lot of people making these type of beers. But for us, it was always the idea of not making and trying to copy Belgian stuff and just like trying to get as close as possible to Cantillon or something like that. Yeah. But actually um, showing the German tradition and German history in uh, that kind of beers and just bringing the local character inside, you know. So uh, we had like guests like the guard, for example, coming over and they tried to like, oh, hey, let's make a turbid mesh and stuff like that. And we're like, okay, we are not copying Belgium. It's like, it's not like that we don't like it, but it's great. But yeah. they do it and we do our own stuff. And um, so we're making like Goza and beers like that uh, uh, on the cool chip, which just brings uh, very different characters ours. We use very different techniques than the Belgians uh, would do. And uh, kind of like trying to show other types of flavors as well. And uh, um, a very, very long uh, barrel aging, for example. So the um, two beers we served uh, yesterday, one was the Urgoza 1375, which uh, we brewed on the day of the 500th anniversary of the purity law. Um, and we pretty much based 1375 was an older East German purity law. Um, so we were like kind of uh, joking with the Bavarian one because that's like, uh, yeah, we don't really have anything to do historically with uh, Bavaria. So we don't really agree on a lot of things. They uh, pretty much brought into that idea how beer should be. Yeah. Uh, the beers in our uh, areas uh, outside of Bavaria, which is only one of 16 states nowadays, were like very, very different. Uh, so before 1906, before the purity law became law outside of uh, Bavaria, there were a lot of spices and fruits were used typically in uh, beer recipes and it's very easy to find these, uh, a lot of these recipes. And so the Urgoza was pretty much based on a uh, 19th century uh, Goza recipe from the original Goza city Goslar. And uh, that was featuring cinnamon, wormwood, spruce twigs and salt. And uh, then we had like original Goza bottles from the 1940s, from the last original Goza brewery. And uh, we pitched uh, that yeast into the cool chip, had an open fermentation on the cool chip and aged uh, uh, the beer in wooden barrels for three years. So that three was years. one of them. And the other one was uh, a lot of uh, friends came over for brewing from different areas. E9 from Tacoma, Washington and uh, Danish and uh, uh, Norwegian friends. And we made this beer with rosemary and ginger. And then we added for juice, which is the juice of unripe grapes, which was in former times uh, used for seasoning dishes before lemons came to Northern Europe. And uh, we used that for seasoning. And um, then uh, spent uh, the years, uh, the, the beer spent two and a half years in wooden barrels before we actually released it. And so for us, it's very important to explain that to really everybody. So people come up, hey, I want the gozen. It's like, okay, cool. I give you the goals, but I'm still explaining that particular thing, what I just explained to each and everybody. Yeah. And uh, 
that makes a huge difference, you know, because people really appreciate that they, you know, otherwise you drink it and you don't understand some of that yeah. stuff. And if you really explain this stuff as people like, oh my God, I mean, there's like some people who don't care and they're just like, whatever, chugging it away or something. But uh, a shit ton of people uh, were yesterday very, very uh, thankful for the information specifically said thank you for like explaining that specific you know because a lot of information is like it's, it's typical to just go to beer fest was like hey pills yeah. there's your pills thank and you and done. you don't need to talk yeah. you know that is like uh, i think makes a huge difference uh, it does to, to to explain but also to receive actually the way of like people like appreciating that information you know but yeah. our, our idea to do this fest was not to be one of those places you just chug beer and don't know anything about the beer but you can actually talk to the brewers and actually learn something about it while you're drinking it. Yeah, I, th I think I think to the point you guys made before, I think there's like um, a great uh, moment for each and every type of beer. You know, I mean, there's like a lot of uh, mm. styles of beer which I personally don't drink as much as well. You know, like if I go to bars or something, there's a lot of times uh, eight percent beers or something stronger. It's like not really my choice yeah. you know there's like a, i don't know double dry hopped uh, <laughs> uh imperial ipas it's not uh, something which is uh generally really uh jumping on me but uh it's like i think there's uh, people who are appreciating it and that's a great uh, situation you know? i mean it's like if uh, you have like traditional uh, english barley wines and stuff you know or uh, imperial stouts which were also just uh in german adam beer adam beer and stuff it's just like people uh, used to drink that but not in the same way they were drinking uh, lighter alcohol beers, you know, so there's always, uh, I think, a time and place for each type of beer. So I think it's great to have that variety, to have some of that crazy, weird, freaky beers and some of that also like really easy drinking beer, you know. So that's, I think, the variation is the whole the spectrum is important. Yeah. But it's always time to drink an easy drinking beer, if you ask me. I mean, you, <laughs> uh, every day you should have at least one. Oh, and, absolutely. And I want to point out one more thing also. Did you, uh, Sebastian and I met at a beer festival, as far as I know. And I want to give some credit to the people that started that beer festival, who are also our friends and who uh, are now one of our, uh, you know, long-term brewers, long-standing long brewers. Uh, we call our brewers, people that work with us, yes. supply us with beer. Um, Yvonne Debats uh, at Brasserie de la Seine in Brussels uh, started a festival with his partner, uh, Bernard, uh, they were called Zinnabir at that time. Uh, that was Bernard's brewery, and Yvonne came into it, and then they became De La Seine later. But they were did a festival called Brusselensis that uh, had it was selective. That's the key thing about Schaltenbos Festival; it's selective, and uh, theirs was selective, and only twelve people were allowed to come in from different places in Belgium. And they let me bring some beer over from Franconia in Germany because uh, it's so good and had character and all that. And they call it a festival of the beers of character. And I keep hitting on that, that word. It's hard to define, but it's important. And uh, I, I talked endlessly with Sebastian about things like that there. And that led to connections that when he wanted to make his own brewery, he talked to me. And so we, we said immediately, okay, I don't even care what you're doing. Well, it turned out to be great stuff, but I will work with you and we'll get your beer here because I know you have the right ideas in your mind about how it should work. And, and that was the first one and there are more festivals like that all the time. All of you are speaking about uh, like what you bring to a festival, the kind of beers you make and, 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 and the focus on character. Um, Miguel, like you're probably one of the best uh, uh, eyeballs when it comes to how festivals have been evolving over years. You travel around the world, you, you, know, you live through your lens and you take pictures and stuff like that. How has the world evolved 
festival wise, not even just festival wise, but beer wise, do you see like a big jump or is it the same thing with slight variations? What do you see when you're going from place to place? Well, uh, I'm going to start by saying that this is the first time I've been to the Shelton Fest and I have heard a lot about it over the years and it was great to be able to come and experience it firsthand because like you were mentioning, I have been to a lot of festivals around the world and they were pretty much like copy and paste, you know, like it was the same kind of festival, including the big one in the West Coast right now. <laughs> And it's just like there's no, like there was no character. It was just like, you know, festivals inside like a convention center, like it has no character. So coming to festivals like this thing, like unique locations, unique breweries, where you can actually speak to the brewers and they don't have just like, I love the volunteers. They are the ones who make this festival work, but they are not, when you go to them and ask them for a beer, they probably don't have any knowledge about the beer. So they just give it to you and, that's it you leave here you can actually talk to the brewer even though it was a lot of people yesterday i saw for example john van roy speaking to every single person that was yep. pouring cantillon and you know taking pictures doing stuff like that or people stopping by garden path or stopping by scratch you know you can actually talk to the people who make the beer or at least somebody who works at the brewery so i think it's a more unique experience for people people who love beer they will love this kind of festivals and people who don't know much about beer, then they come to this kind of festivals and they leave with a different view of what beer is, what can beer, what beer can be. And hopefully they will relate that to other friends so they can, you know, start picking and choosing what kind of festivals they want to support and not support just like your big, you know, name festival that's just beer that you can find anywhere where you whereas here is beer that you're probably not going to ever drink again or it's you know it's a beer that you're going to leave with some kind of a memory and that was something that in the project that i do that is something that i focus on too like uh dan was saying there's almost eight thousand breweries right now in the united states alone i don't want to go to all eight thousand of them i want to go to the ones that have a story and right now in this table right now i can say i have I met Sebastian a couple of years ago in New York uh, and I have been to Germany a couple of times now in the past two years and every time I go I reach out to him and either to meet up with him or he gives me recommendations of places to go. Two weeks ago I was in Washington State and I went to visit uh, Garden Path and I stayed with Ron. Um, I met Joel a couple of years ago in New York and we have traveled extensively this year to places like Costa Rica, Panama, Argentina to go to festivals. I was at Naparvir last year in Pamplona. So, you know, because of these connections and the people you meet is what I want to do and it's the kind of um, the word that I want to spread through my pictures, you know, it's like to show them the uniqueness of this beer. And just like my, my thing on my project says, every beer has a story, every story has a beer. I am, I'm a firm believer in that. And, and that's what beer should be, and that's kind of what the festival focuses on. Before we started recording, I was uh, talking to Miguel about what we're going to talk about, and when we talk about this festival, it kind of rings to what you're talking about, which is carefully cultivated. You want, you want to pick where you want to be in life, not just try to get everything you possibly can out of yeah, it. Yeah, like you were, you were trying to look for a word, yeah, and yeah. what I said was this festival is carefully, uh, carefully curated. Curated. Uh, and I feel that that's not like that kind of mentality is kind of 
being lost right now in breweries and in beer. So I think that it's good festivals like this to kind of bring that back to people so they can see, you know, what real beer and good beer is about, you know. And that brings me to answering your question um, probably again. <laughs> but uh, I don't like the word curated just because it's kind of overused these days. Um, but I say selected, you know, selective. Mm -hmm. And I, I, uh, I think that uh, that's, that was the thing that we did that was different. I don't think it was ever, there was never curation in the beer business until this all started happening about the same time we started somehow. It was really a good time for us. Uh, you know, there weren't festivals that were all kinds of different breweries that were selected like that. And um, that's how our business started too. I mean, I, I was, we, we had Cantillon uh, by chance. And uh, I said, we had to go out and find new breweries to, in order to survive. We needed to sell more beer. It was easier to access than Cantillon at the time. And so uh, I started just traveling around. That, what I do is almost exactly what Miguel does, except that I have to then buy beer and lay out money and then worry if I'm going to be able to sell it. But uh, so I hope You have an easy life, Miguel. All I you hope, do I is take pictures. <laughs> I, I hope he sleeps better than I do. You know? well, but, but other than that, we do the same thing. And, and that is a new thing. It, it was never something that was happening in the beer business. You know, the idea, of, I mean, it's all about the world getting closer. It's all about mm -hmm. the internet, too. It's a lot of that stuff. Yeah. People didn't, you know, people just drank the beer that, was, that they had locally. Or if they had Budweiser or whatever, you know, the, the, the beer that was forced on them, you know, by marketing all that uh, in, across the whole country. But we, you know, we, I went out there looking for beer to sell, but I ended up just immediately gravitating to stuff that, I thought was good, which was a whole new marketing. No one ever thought about that. <laughs> it wasn't about bikinis and base football and whatnot. It was about like these are really good beers, and we don't we can't market them to you because we don't. No one has any money. Yeah. But uh, we're gonna we're just gonna choose ones we really liked. And I could have chosen lots of other ones, and I didn't choose a lot of other ones that, that were very available and wanted to put money into marketing. But I was like, I, I don't like the beer. I, I mean, and it just happened that way. And that was that's part of something that was happening at that time. And I just happened to be on the importing side of that, you know, as part of a whole new process that's happening. Well, we're still in the middle of that because we have people like Jamie from Napa Beer. Who else in America does this kind of thing? Yeah. You know, we've, we, Dan went there and found that place and no one in America still is, you know, they're still learning about it. So well, it's still I, going I found, on to this I day. I found Napa, by the way, at a beer festival at yeah. Mediona. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier exactly a the festival that was in a, in a remote place with a, a some, basically a rural little, someone's, someone's House, hacienda. Yeah, 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 it was, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and when I first went there, there were five brewers there, and almost none of them are left. Yeah. They were all mostly smoking dope. And <laughs> I told them that, man, exactly. you've got, you got serious problems with diacetyl. I mentioned like flaws in beer that I personally don't like and very sensitive to. And they were like, whoa, you think, really? I mean, that's not a good Spanish accent. Um, but <laughs> but they really were not smoking. Not. It's not as good as yeah, <laughs> Jamie's. Jamie's. <laughs> almost, almost everybody was uh, was wearing you know tie-dyed shirts and smoking dope at this festival. Especially the organizer. Not a lot has changed. <laughs> <laughs> Except that now there are like 30 or 40 breweries. And it's yeah. selective again. And, yeah. and they were at the first... They, uh, I'm sure that Sebastian was there at the same time that um, Carlos of uh, Carlos Aguillons, um, the Aguillons Brewery in Mediona, who organizes this festival. It's now like 15 years worth of it, I think, or more than that. He was at the Brusilensis Festival, and that's how I met him. And then so I ended up going there because... Well, it's just all this sort of camaraderie. Again, it's this like way of thinking. And that's, I mean, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's, uh, you know, 
uh, finding like-minded people that uh, enjoy good things is, it, I mean, it's, it's so basic to say it that way. It's so simple, but a lot of people forget to do that. And it's hard. Um, I mean, not to cut this short, I know you guys got to go because you have the second fest coming up. Um, but I just wanted to ask you guys if you have any specific like parting shots that you wanted to take, like anything specific as far as, uh, you know, the stuff about the festival, stuff about your breweries themselves, anything that you'd like to add. Can we take shots at people at this table? Yeah, yeah. Can yeah we, I, want, uh, I wanted to do something about, about shots Sebastian, taken, but I can't. Well, I was going to say, Jamie was doing shots all last night. <laughs> um, but yeah. That's uh, why my Spanish sounds this way. Oh, you know, that's what it is. So you were drinking, uh, what were you drinking? What was that again? Uh, Zambuca, I think. No, yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> it's it's well known, by the way. It, remember. The alcohol accent syndrome, you know. Yeah, too much whiskey and you start like speaking in tongues and stuff like that. And yeah. No one knows where you're from. That's why five, you know, four and a half percent table beers exist. So you could just take a long time to get to speaking to tongues. Um, but there you go, guys. We're going to let these guys go. I know they got to go. It's a, we're about an hour away from the first session or second, first session of the second day of the Shelton Festival. And the, I uh, want to thank you guys for sitting down, talking, uh, spreading your stories and bringing some awesome beer. So thank you very much. Uh, if you guys want to find anything else about all the people here, whether it be the Shelton Brothers, uh, Miguel, and Napler Beer, and Garden Path, and uh, Frygeist, you can um, find the links in the description below. And if you have any questions, feel free to forward them on, and I'll make sure they find the right place. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the talk. Hopefully you're enjoying a little bit of Shelton Brothers beer. I hope to see you next time. Cheers.